0: This audio lecture is brought to you by RTS on iTunes U at the virtual campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other lectures and to access additional resources, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. For additional information on how to take distance education courses for credit towards a fully accredited Master of Arts in Religion degree, please visit our website at virtual.rts.edu
1: So, let's look at first the Pelagian system some of the key ideas what this is really is a quick relatively quick summary of some of the basic ideas I'm going to compare then the same basic ideas with the Augustinian system uh we looked at the controversy, and now want we'll to look at the theological system of uh, both Pelagius and Augustine and compare them. Uh, again, what we're basically talking about, when you can see the original state of man, the fall of man, the redemption of man, this is essentially anthropology, but with a strong soteriological kind of, of, uh, of interaction here. So, three basic stages in the redemptive history, that is, Man's original state, his fall, and his redemption are the three basic categories I'm going to look at uh, in Pelagius' system and that of Augustine. First, Pelagius' view of the original state of man. According to Pelagius, Adam, when he was created, was sinless. So far, so good. Adam was endowed with reason. He could employ it. He could think well. And he had a free will, says Pelagius. Still, pretty good. But it was especially his notion of freedom that gave Pelagius his own particular kind of emphasis, which stands in contrast to that of Augustine, his idea of freedom. For Pelagius, freedom was, quote, the absolutely equal ability at every moment to do good or evil. Pelagius' concept of freedom is something like this, the absolute equal ability at every moment to do good or evil. And as Pelagius develops this concept or his concept of freedom, it becomes clear that this is freedom from God in an absolute kind of way. It's a freedom in which man is independent of everything, including God. So that... This radical freedom, if rightly used, will lead to a state of holiness and eventually to redemption. A right use of this freedom, I like your t-shirt. <laughs> a wrong use of this freedom leads to bondage to sin and eventually doom So, a stress on freedom, it's, it's, a, an almost, it's, it's a very radical notion of freedom. There's one other feature to his concept of freedom that I think is, is, is uh, very helpful and, and noteworthy. And it is this. That the human will is affected by its own actions. Just write, just write that down and I'll elaborate. The human will is affected by its own actions. By that I mean that the will by its exercise, by its actions, acquires a disposition, a tendency, an inclination toward good or evil. By the exercise of the will, there is acquired a Disposition, a tendency, an inclination. The more you use it in a certain way, the more you develop a habit. And every act, every exercise of the human will contributes further towards a permanent habit, a permanent tendency. And every habit is in turn the parent of new actions which correspond to the habit that gave birth to it the habit becomes the parent of new actions which correspond to the habit itself man is a creature of habit for Pelagius to coin a phrase so that's what we mean by the original state of man according to Pelagius. Now let's look at the fall and this is especially striking in Pelagius and we'll see how much in contrast it is to Augustine. Now at the outset when Pelagius looked at Adam for him Adam was a completely isolated individual. Completely isolated. The sin of Adam was a single, isolated act of disobedience. The sin of Adam was merely a single, isolated act of disobedience. So Adam was no representative of mankind. And therefore, his actions have no relevance beyond himself. He made a mistake and he paid the price. Story ends. There were no consequences to Adam's disobedience. It was a single and, according to some of the followers of Pelagius, Julian of Eclanum in particular, it was a single and somewhat excusable mistake. Julian had likened Adam's sin to an insignificant, and this is a quote, an insignificant offense, the insignificant offense of a child who allows himself to be misled, but afterward repents. I'll say that again. Julian of Eclanum. He was the probably the most articulate spokesman of Pelagianism after Pelagius and he sort of reduces the fall to a quote the level of an insignificant offense of a child who allows itself to be misled but then afterwards repents for him that's essentially what Adam's fall was an insignificant and I would add isolated offense no consequences there are no consequences to the body of Adam physically there are no particular consequences for his soul and I think for our purposes I want to underline this next thing there are no consequences for his posterity every person who comes after him must stand or fall on his own as individuals now having said that it's and let me make the point very clear Pelagius does not believe in original sin period nor does he believe in any hereditary guilt those who follow after Adam do not incur any guilt of any sort according to Pelagius Men and women are born tabula rasa, blank slates. They are born with a clean slate, neither good nor bad, and they have an equal capacity for good or for bad. There's no inherent guilt and no inherent sinful nature. Now, the logical question one would want to put to Pelagius at this point is, Pelagius, how then do you explain all of this, all of you wretched, sinful persons that populate not only this classroom, but this world? Listen to Pelagius' response for why you and I are sinners. Sin exists mainly because of the bad example of Pelagius. The bad example of Adam, sorry. Okay. The bad example of Adam. One other little tidbit in Pelagius' system is that he does believe... That given the fact that man is tabula rasa, a blank slate, could go either good or bad, that there is the possibility that one could live a life without sin. He believes that perfection is at least a possibility. In fact, he looks back and besides Jesus identifies Abraham and Mary as two persons who in fact did live sinless lives. They were born with neither an inclination for good or bad, but they chose to do exercise their will in a good way and continue, developed a habit, and continued to live their entire life without sin. So there is the possibility of perfectionism in Pelagius. Redemption. Man's redemption. bottom line here is that the present moral condition in which one finds himself is exactly the same as that of Adam before the fall. We are in exactly the same moral condition. And since he denies original sin, there's no corruption in man, and men are not burdened down with a sin nature. The only problem, as I've already said, is the bad example of Adam, and some have imitated that. Redemption is ultimately the exercise of one's free, with an emphasis on free will to follow the good and do the good. Now, mentioning, having mentioned the the will the free will that exists now in every human being just as it did with Adam before the fall I need to also say that this means for Pelagius that the fall Adams disobedience did not lose nor did he damage his free will it was exactly the same before and after very different from Augustine now it would appear that given this kind of description that divine grace is really quite unnecessary. And yet, Pelagius does talk about two kinds of grace. He talks about a natural grace. This natural grace by that term, he simply means nothing other that God in his grace gave man a free will. That is an expression of natural grace by simply giving a person free will. He also mentions supernatural grace. Now, this is a uh, the kind of grace that sort of functions in a secondary kind of way to help and assist man as he exercises his will doing good things, which will be then rewarded. God's grace can kind of assist and help man's own exercise of his will. It's an external kind of help. But it's not absolutely necessary for salvation. Because theoretically one could live a life sinless. And therefore not need any particular grace. Now one really important notion as we talk about his view of, of uh, redemption. And that is, and with regard to the supernatural grace. And that is that God bestows this, this extra grace, this grace to assist man. Uh, Only as a matter deserved, as a meritorious response to man's first exercising his will toward the good, doing the good things. Because I do all of these good things, I exercise my will to do good. God sees that and says, aha, I'll reward him. So I'll give him a little shot of grace, a little supernatural grace. For those who are not Christians, they do not deserve God's grace and they don't get it. Christians get it because they deserve it. There's this inherent idea of merit involved in Pelagius' system. To sum up then, the Pelagian view of redemption. We can say that redemption is accomplished by Basically two things. Human effort. Which is sort of perfecting its natural powers of free will. Human effort. That is sort of perfecting man's natural powers. And employing God's grace. So to get over the rough spots. If you will. Okay, that's, in a nutshell, the system of Pelagius. Any questions about that? Um, the about being the of of Adam? Yeah, he, he would be the counterexample to follow. Sure. How was in the uh, well, <laughs> he, he was... Uh, Part of the problem is we don't know an awful lot. We have a relatively limited amount of information. Uh, It's it's very interesting that Augustine always writes with uh, considerable respect toward his person. The only time he casts aspersions on his moral character is the time he appears before a council and sort of says that his uh, his buddy, Celestius, uh, is off theologically a little bit in fact he just says he's, he was foolish to go to Carthage to try to get ordained so, so there's that little sense of betrayal of his follower but on the whole it is not, it's, it's noteworthy that Augustine does seem to show a lot of respect which would suggest then that he was a man of some moral repute uh, Pelagius was a moralist and you wouldn't be a very good moralist if you weren't pretty moral. So, any scripture to get theology? In my judgment, yes. Oh yes, yes. He wrote he wrote a commentary on on Paul's epistles. So, so he is very much. I mean, all of these people, you know, throughout history, will cite scripture to support their view. Well he simply simply looks at what Adam did and says that's one man's sin and he paid the price. He got kicked out. So what? It's it's one particular situation that and the, and the key thing about Pelagius's view really is the fact that there is no consequence for the rest of mankind. Yes, absolutely. Mike
0: Yes. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, these are, remember now, we're in the early stages of the formation of Western theology. Well, I think we've made it pretty clear, haven't we, that from time to time theologians contradict themselves. It was true then, and it's true now, I might add. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Christ is a, is a good example of how we ought to live. He's he's a he's a moral example. No, not not necessarily. Yes, it's it's you, you are not. It's it's your own fault. It's your own fall, and you bear the results yourself. Yes. I mean, you are, one of the other things is you're disconnected from Adam. There's no relationship, per se. Let's move on then to Augustine. Look at the same basic categories. Uh, and what you notice is that, and I'm speaking generally, that Augustine has a higher concept of Adam before the fall a deeper view of Adam's fall and a greater appreciation for God's grace than does Pelagius a higher concept of Adam in his original state before the fall a deeper view of Adam's fall takes it very very seriously and consequently has a higher view A greater view, I said, of God's grace. Now, that is a biased judgment, to be sure. I admit it. Let's look at the original state of man, according to Augustine. Man was created, says Augustine, good. And man possessed the freedom to do good. In the garden, he also possessed reason. He had a a good mind and he could know God. In the garden, man was the recipient of God's grace. He has the ability to reason and to know God. There's an intimate knowing of God. And that God's grace is evident and enables man to serve God. So, he paints a very uh, wonderful picture of Adam in the garden. It is a positive relationship between God and man that was full of joy and obedience. But Augustine adds something that Pelagius doesn't have in his concept of of man before the fall Augustine says that the original state of man was relatively perfect not absolutely perfect and by that what I'm trying to get at is to say that even before the fall man was subject to the possibility of change there was still a possibility of change of development There was the idea that potentially for change and development in Adam. And Adam could develop in one of two ways. He could obey and live in harmony with God forever. Or he could disobey and fall away from God and become a sinner Augustine called this stage posse non picare able not to sin. Man had the ability. He wasn't uh, absolutely always going to do right, but he had the possibility. He was able not to sin. That's the the key phrase that he employs. The other thing is, is... An incidental note, I'll just mention it. Unlike Pelagius, Augustine said of Adam before the fall that if he had obeyed God, Adam would have retained immortality. If he had obeyed God, then he would have lived forever. Pelagius said Adam would have died even if there had been no fall. Pelagius said that if Adam... that Adam would have died physically even if there had been no fall at all. Augustine sees that there are physical there is a physical and a spiritual death that occurs as a result of Adam's disobedience. Another difference between Augustine and Pelagius concerns the will of Adam. Pelagius, when he looked at the will of Adam before the fall, he painted a picture in which his will was absolutely neutral. It could go either this way in obedience or this way in disobedience. Just completely neutral. That's not exactly the case with Augustine. Man was not completely neutral. Augustine says... In in contrast to Pelagius, that Adam was created good. And for Augustine, that meant that there was a positive tendency to do good and to obey God. Man, says Augustine, was created with a positive tendency to obey God. And yet, at the same time, he had the possibility of sinning. Now, this is significant because for Augustine, and look at his interpretation of Adam, it means that Adam did not merely choose between two equally inviting choices with no obstacle whatsoever to, to either choice. Adam did not merely choose between two absolutely equal choices. What it means for Augustine is this, that Adam had to overcome his own natural predisposition to obey in order to disobey. Do you see the gravity of Augustine's view here? Augustine says that Adam had to overcome his own natural predisposition to obey God in order to disobey. God had created Adam good with a positive predisposition. So you can see there's a much more profound uh, understanding of Adam's fall by Augustine than with Pelagius. Okay. The original state of man, the fall of man Now, the first thing you need to know about Augustine's view of the fall is that when Augustine looks at Adam, he starts, he begins with the idea of an organic unity between Adam and the rest of mankind. Between Adam and you and me. That is fundamental in the Augustinian conception that there is an organic unity between Adam and all that follow. So Adam was not an isolated individual, but he was the representative of the whole human race that would come after. So all are joined to Adam. Now, Augustine does not only see a sort of spiritual connection between Adam and the rest of mankind, he goes so far as to talk about a physical connection as well between Adam and us. According to Augustine, and this is interesting, all of mankind were in Adam's body When he sinned in his seed. He uses this phrase in lumbus adami, in the loins of Adam. In the loins of Adam. So that physically, when Adam sinned against God, there was a fall in his body, including that seed of mankind in his body. And that seed. That physical seed in his body was also affected by the fall. So, for for Augustine, there is not only a spiritual connection, we ought even say a legal connection, but there is a physical connection. I might add, there are some Reformed theologians, mostly older types, uh, who... inclined to see that physical connection as well i would say generally speaking most reform types don't put quite so much emphasis on that they want to stress the covenantal uh... relationship
0: this audio lecture is brought to you by rts on itunes u at the Virtual Campus of Reformed Theological Seminary. To listen to other lectures and to access additional resources, please visit us at itunes.rts.edu. For additional information on how to take distance education courses for credit towards a fully accredited Master of Arts in Religion degree, please visit our website at virtual.rts.edu.